the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome into another edition of the uh, Spot Track Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Kravitz, joined by the man himself. He, of course, is Mike Gennetti. Quite the night we had last night in baseball, Diamondbacks and Astros advanced to the AL and NLCS. Exciting times, Mike. There's some really good baseball being played out there and, and still some surprises to be had. Yeah, no question. The uh, the Diamondbacks are. I thought were a year away from being a year away here, and they're all grown up. They look uh, they look the part. They are they are doing things right now they didn't even do in the regular season. Right? They weren't a power hitting team. They were kind of a five tool team. So they have figured out how to be a different version of themselves. That's sort of what Philadelphia was last year. So I, I think having those two teams be super relevant right now is fun. It's a fun fan base. And look, anytime like. A Goliath like the Dodgers gets uh, thrown aside. It's good for me because I get to di- dissect all these numbers and try to figure out where this big, gigantic payroll is going to be next year. So let's start with the Dodgers. Then they've now become the first team to win 100 games in three straight regular seasons and not make a World Series. And they didn't just lose here. They were swept. So when you start digging into it, Any wholesale changes in store for a successful but puzzling franchise? Yeah, there's going to be changes, but I feel like they're already going through them. Um, You know, so much is made of the position players because they're phenomenal. I mean, they're legitimate MVP candidates across the board here. And they had a great season from players like JD Martinez and, you know, Kiki Hernandez joining the team. So positionally, they're kind of set up nicely still, but uh, the entire bugaboo for this team heading into the season throughout the season and now certainly throughout the winter is this pitching staff. They brought in three or four relievers in March that made me scratch my head with so much injury concern. And of course they all got injured immediately. Then you had Walker Bueller's massive injury, which is going to bleed into next year. Certainly Julio Urias' situation was not something they were planning on, but that devastated the starting lineup. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about Tani quite a bit here over the next few weeks and, and they'll, they're still the favorite to land him, but that's not going to fix, especially in 2024, this depleted rotation and half depleted bullpen, which is going to be an expensive, expensive fix. If, if the Dodgers are going to stay relevant as one of the kingpins in this league, they're going to have to shell out significant hundreds of millions of dollars this and next free agency to rebuild around a couple of really nice prospect pitchers. But, you know, there's no waiting game for this team. They have to do it immediately. So I expect them to be extremely, extremely aggressive, both in the trade and the free agent world here. They almost feel like baseball's version of the Golden State Warriors. And they both uh, take they both take the field or court in the same region of the United States, but it's almost like they're in the, this, this in-between point of they've got the older established stars that are sort of on their way out. And then they're trying to usher in this new era and they're trying to do it all at the same time. Do you see any parallels there with the way that these two organizations are operating? I do, but I actually think, and it's funny because we, we hear so much correlation between Kershaw and Matt Stafford, right? For ex-roommates and, and teammates growing up. I think they feel like the Rams to me, right? The Rams had this remarkable kind of, uh, you know, run up with McVay and all of these established experienced veterans. And they brought in Stafford to sort of be their closer, right? They, they got the end of the piece. But now 
They took a huge step back last year because they knew they had to with Stafford's injury. And now there's three or four kids that look like they might be superstars on that roster. Right. And they could do this thing all over again. And and by the way, the Kershaw-Matt Stafford parallel exists in both cases here too. I don't know that Stafford's going to be around in 2025, even 2024 right now with his age and, and retirement possibility. And certainly that's the case for Kershaw. So I, I think that's the better parallel right now for a lot of reasons. And, and by the way, both of these teams could win franchises or could win uh, championships in 2024. There's nothing stopping them. Yeah, I think one of the differences between those two right now would just be regular season success. I don't think we yeah. see the Rams finishing atop the NFC in the way that the Dodgers were able to still get it done in, in the National League. You look at Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts. These guys did not deliver based on what they're paid just doing some quick calculations on my side i think that their uh their annual salary is about th- at least close to 50 percent of what the diamondbacks entire roster is yeah. so you've got two guys that really should have been able to deliver more here you got to get bang for your buck if you're going to pay for championships those are the guys that have to deliver yeah and they, they do over long periods right they are they are phenomenal regular season players and certainly freeman had a really good run in the postseason with the Braves, especially in his walk year. Um, we've seen Mookie be up and down in the postseason. This was one of his down you know, you know, years in terms of, I feel like they only played an hour and a half of baseball, right? This all feels so fast the past week or so, but yeah, it is. Um, when you have sweeps like this, it just kind of blows by you. Uh, they're going to bounce right back. I, I don't want to be sitting here being too negative, but I, I do think there were some serious injury concerns that they're going to have to not just band-aid, but actually pay to address this winter so it's fun for me do you like how sped up the baseball postseason is or do, do you think that they should go back to the drawing board because I, I do think it's a conversation rob manfred and his staff are gonna have should we stretch this thing out for their tv partners for just the d- driving as much postseason interest that's where the money is that's where the interest is so do you think that it's it's too sped up I actually think it's a really smart move by them. Um, I, it does feel fast. It's also something I think I could get used to within you know three years of it happening. Um, I feel like the second you take your foot off the gas pedal right now, the NFL is just going to crush them. And then, by the way, the NBA is coming. The NHL is already here. So any of those sort of multi fans that you know may have already trickled away. So I, I think keeping the gas pedal down is good. Um, it's an everyday sport anyway, right? So to change it for the postseason just for business purposes is fine, but it's not necessary. So I, I think I would get used to it. I think the players are already used to it because it's how they live their lives for eight months anyway. So I, I think if the ratings hold up, we should just keep this gas pedal down and keep baseball relevant. I'm with you. I like it. I, I mean, I think it drives interest and that sort of urgency that we want to see in baseball. It's just an odd dichotomy because you have the the grind of 162 games, which is the biggest marathon in sports, and then they have maybe the most sped up postseason, not yeah. named March Madness. So it's sort of yeah, like there's no balance there. But I do like the playoffs. I wouldn't want to change it. But it is interesting that baseball of all sports is the one that seems to just sort of snap their finger and work to the World Series. <laughs> well, the weather doesn't help either, right? They know they have to get out of here as quickly as possible. That's true. Things are going to turn. So yeah, very good point. So let's talk about the Diamondbacks for a moment. They're 21st in overall payroll. Everyone else still alive in the playoffs, including the Phillies and the Braves. They take the field tonight they're still alive inside of the top 10 in terms of overall payroll so the uh, the overarching point would be money still wins but does that make them the automatic darling of the public 
and on one end and the automatic darling of you, Mike Gennetti, because now mm. you get to deep dive into how this is all working. Yeah, they're my value play now, right? I, I was, I mean, we've talked quite a bit about them this entire season. We knew this train was coming. It's just, it's just here a lot faster than I anticipated. Um, it's kind of a homegrown situation. There's a lot to like here. It's very Dodgers like and how they've taken this approach. Um, there's been a lot of carnage over the past few years to get to this point, including this year. They DFA'd two or three big contracts off this roster, sort of just to take up the roster spots. They they knew these kids were ready to grow into it. So um, they're not going to be cheap for long. Let's put it that way. They they signed Corbin Carroll to what I think is an unbelievable value. It's going to be an Acuna-like contract here in just maybe a minute and a half. Um, there's a couple of pitchers that are going to get paid here, Zach Gallen being the ace in terms of that. And and from there, Christian Walker, you know, Gabriel Moreno, these guys that are growing up as, as postseason stars for us, if, if they want to do this right, in my opinion, they're 21st right now in payroll. You want to be in the teens next year because you have spent all winter becoming the Atlanta Braves, signing five or six early pre-arb arbitration extensions with players who you're, you may have to overpay a little bit for right now because they've already kind of creamed, right, right, risen to the top here. Yeah. But that's that's the model you want to go after right now is that Braves payroll, which is never going to be top three because of what they've done, but it's never going to be bottom 20 either. You want to be able to live in those teens with this young group and, and pay them accordingly. So I, I'm excited to see how they handle some of these real, uh, honestly, 22-year-old superstars. So who gets the Ronald Acuna Jr. contract? Yeah, it's already Corbin Carroll. He's already got the the, the hundred million dollar contract basically before he stepped on the field, right? The, the number sixteen overall pick back in just twenty nineteen, which is a very very quick rise to fame here. But you know he maxes out at one thirty four with all the club options built into it, essentially maybe one fifty with some incentives. So th- it, it, that's a beautiful thing for nine years for a player who looks like he's going to be that type of you know Acuna type player for Arizona for the foreseeable future. So that one's already done. Now it's just kind of backfilling with smaller versions of that, maybe shorter terms. And then you're, you're here. I mean, this core is going to be here now for four or five years. They're all young. They're all feisty. They're all five tool players. It's uh, it's easily my favorite team right now, um, only because I'm a Mets fan. So I can't root for the Phillies because I think I would love the Phillies if I wasn't a Mets fan. <laughs> <laughs> that home crowd makes it easy to cheer oh, for when when they're playing in Philadelphia. Watch. It's it's hard not to get behind it. Oh, I was thinking about uh, taking the Braves yeah. yesterday on the money line. I'm like, nah, you can't go against this Phillies team in Philadelphia. Once they get rolling, it's an avalanche, and that happened last night. Yeah, yeah, and I I actually do like Bryce Harper, so I'm happy that he's having this moment right now. Yeah, um, do you do you give the Diamondbacks a, a real shot against? Either one of those teams is two really stacked baseball teams they'll be going up against uh, potentially in the NLCS. Yeah, I do. I really do because they don't know what they don't know yet. And that's a really good formula for a team that is coming into an atmosphere like Philadelphia and, and Philadelphia is going to be uber. I'm just assuming, by the way, it's Philadelphia. They're uber confident, you know, uber arrogant because of the fan base is going to kind of demand that. And Arizona might just come in like they did last night, right? And, and just just quietly swing their way into a huge lead and then just have to sustain themselves. Something they've done now for a really better part of a month and a half. So I, like I said, they're, they're not even playing like themselves. They're playing a different version of what they can be. And, and that's a really nice recipe for any kind of success this time of year. So if, if anybody's going to quiet that Philly crowd, I do think this team can do it. 
it's like there's two ways to win in the baseball playoffs. You either have to be experienced, you've lived through it before, so you're not psyched out by the moment, or you're too young and dumb to know any better. That's why I thought the, my Baltimore Orioles were going to have a better run than they yeah. did, and they they flamed out without a single postseason win mm-hmm. after winning 100 in the regular season. But we'll save that for another day. Uh, let's move to the football world. Kirk Cousins was asked by reporters yesterday if he would be willing to waive his no-trade clause before the deadline. So we're officially here, Mike. This question is probably going to be asked again, and that was sort of, I think, a rip-the-band-aid-off moment for the Minnesota media his response was, I'm getting ready for the Bears. So it was very much a Belichickian sort of response. But what I didn't hear in that was a no. So do you think that he'll do it? Do you think the Vikings want to do it? It's a really tough question to answer. Uh, we just don't see starting quarterbacks move at trade deadlines. It's not a thing, right? It's, it's, it's one of those positions that really just doesn't translate in the middle of the season because... Uh, you know, playbooks can be so different, things like that. Generally, you need a massive injury, like certainly the Jets have had, to, to demand this type of move. Um, but look, everything else says yes, right? Expiring contract, it's basically a half a million a week, right? So for for 13 weeks left right now, if you were traded this moment, it'd be about $7 million for a team to take him on. And, and Minnesota could certainly pay some of that down to get some better draft capital back. So everything about it says he probably should do it. And oh, by the way, he, he can't be franchise tagged next year because of the, con- the, the, the language in his contract. So th- this is not a situation where Minnesota can kind of play the long game here. He's either going to be moved or he's going to hit the open market next March. The, one, those are the two options here. So it's a fascinating scenario that this team has fallen so quickly and is probably in tank mode internally. So I, if, if to answer your one question, I, I bet they do want to move Kirk Cousins. Um, and we, we will see more about this in a week. And by the way, a loss to the Bears might just open up every can of worm possible. But uh, I do think that that's where this is headed. But again, we just don't see these kind of moves happen in this league. I'd love it, but yeah. we don't see it. Yeah, we we don't, uh, and, and it would be it would be a break from the norm. But if it was ever going to happen, yeah, it seems like this would be the exact situation where you have a team that doesn't. The Vikings aren't the type of organization that wants to bottom bottom out for very long. So if they can just deal with it for half a season, be done with it, and then and the type of contracts that we see moved in sports, this is very much an NBA Major League Baseball thing is exactly what you're talking about with Kirk Cousins, a guy that probably they don't want to re-sign. You'd love to get something for him. And so this is your opportunity. But he does have that no trade clause. So I wanted to ask you about what the Vikings could do. If Kirk Cousins was on the fence with it, could the Vikings strong arm him in any way into waiving that no trade clause? Or are they powerless in this situation? For the most part, they're powerless. Um, You know, Certainly they can do the work to work with him. And by the way, they've done everything right by this guy, you know, basically fully guaranteed contracts for the past six years. Um, you know, something really no other organization has done. They've, t- they've let him take small contracts so that situations like this can continue to come up. Um, he's played it well. His agents played it well. I've had him on this podcast before. Uh, he's a brilliant guy. He, he and I see very much eye to eye with these contracts and how they operate right now. So I, I think that I think the relationship is good. So I don't think this will become a public scenario where one side will have to battle the other publicly like we've seen so often now in sports. Um, but yeah, for the most part, the Minnesota's hands are tied unless Cousins comes to them and says, all right. You know, and 
by the way, there's, there's been some shopping already. Let's be perfectly clear here. Um, they have to find the perfect scenario. And maybe the Jets is that scenario. I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, we're going to find out if there's a couple more teams involved here. And, and, you know, injuries always drive that conversation up as well. Well, and while the Vikings probably need to lose to make this more of a legitimate conversation, the Jets need to win in order for this to be a legitimate conversation. They face the Eagles this weekend. So that's not going to be any easy task to get that done. But if they're too far down in the in the, um, you know, in the cellar, they're probably not going to want to make a move. The thing that I keep going back to and thinking about this is how crazy would it be if Rodgers is going through this organic, very Rodgers-like Achilles treatment? Let's say it works. It could. And he's Mm -hmm. able to come back at the end of the season after they've acquired Kirk Cousins. And now you've got that situation to deal with. So I, you know, just as a, a fan of sports controversy, I would love to see what that looks like. I, I just I don't think this is a likely move. I, I don't know where you stand yeah. on this. I don't think Cousins moves. I, I I've really never thought that. Uh, we'll have plenty of trade candidates here coming up in 19 days or so. But I don't right now think he's one of them. But the, look, that could very much change, right? It, it's it's still too early to kind of assess who's in, who's out in terms of uh, caring for the rest of this season. I guess is the best way to put it. But you know, there's a lot of teams right now that are wishy washy, and maybe he latches on at some point. Yeah, I don't see anybody else that really makes a lot of sense. So it feels like it's it's jets or bust if even that because yeah. of like you said. I mean, even if it's the even if it's the scenario that makes the most sense that we've seen at the quarterback position in terms of a trade deadline deal, still unlikely to happen. Mm-hmm. You detailed Jonathan Taylor's contract, three years, forty two million dollars. That was on the last episode of this very podcast, uh, a full rabbit hole deep dive. And I want to remind listeners. Uh, that that haven't caught up with the full detail uh, layout of this, what, what the cash flow looks like, how this compares to other contracts at the position, maybe a Cliff's Notes version of of everything that you covered in the podcast, and of course all the stuff that you can find at SpotTrack.com. Yeah, so for all intents, this is a really a two year deal, right? And that's generally how most of these work. I'm going to give him three years on this thing. Uh, because of the early guarantee that locks in next year. Let's just assume he stays healthy. He's young enough to where this is a viable contract. He's 24 right now. So he'll after those three years, he'll be 26 going on 27. That's really good in terms of running back age and uh, availability. So it's really just about staying healthy in this thing. And he's going to make over $33 million for the next three years. So, you know, if we adjust McCaffrey's contract, he's making 12 million. He's been making 12 million a year for the past couple and probably again next season in San Francisco. So to be slightly underneath McCaffrey is probably exactly where Jonathan Taylor wants to be at the end of the day. And, you know, it's, it's a really good model for the next running backs coming up, whoever they may be, by the way, I I know you do this for a living. I, when I did that pod on Monday, I was trying to think about who the next running back up might be. I'm struggling. Has, has this thing become so, diluted in terms of, you know, the running back by committee, something you follow a lot with fantasy, I'm sure yeah. that we just don't have standout running backs anymore. I mean, I, I find myself already latching on to Bijan Robinson and he's played an hour and a half of football. I'm not even sure who the next guy up would be after Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, the uh, but and we're probably how many years away from Bijan would be the obvious yeah. one, but we're yeah. year we're, we're a couple of years away from that in terms of guys that would be right on the cusp of that conversation. The one that comes that's top of mind for me. If he continues to play like he's been playing this year, would be Travis Etienne. Yep. I think he he makes he makes some sense. 
Tony Pollard needs to put together uh, much more of what he did last year. And we've seen bits and pieces of that. Uh, some sour tastes in the, the mouths of anybody who believed in Dallas after what <laughs> happened against the 49ers. But those are the only two of guys that have been in the league that would be. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, the, the Pollard, the Pollard, Barkley, Josh Jacobs stuff. It's just not holding up a light right now. Right. I mean, I can't imagine yeah. any of those guys getting a massive increase extension right now. Uh, you know, maybe another tag is where that's headed, but um, yeah, uh, Etienne has a chance because he's more of a of a three tool running back, and he's certainly showing what he can do right now. But health's been an issue, right? It, it could easily yep. turn into another J.K. Dobbins type situation where it's just we just kind of forget about it, and they have to move on afterwards. So I, I'm struggling for that next man up mentality. And by the way, Bijan, because of the first round pick, it could be six years. It could it could be it could be four years plus the fifth year option and a six year franchise tag. That's how far away that contract extension might be. But isn't that part of the benefit that was yeah. the, I think the anti running back crowd is constantly saying, well, you can't draft them in the first round. But isn't that the reason that if you feel like there's a premium guy at that position, why you would want to do that? Because then you can just hold on to him for five years and then say, now we're done. We got five good years out of him. 100%. It is a, it's a terrible situation for a player to be in. But at the same time, He's making 30 some million dollars. So he's making the money that Jonathan, I just told you, Jonathan Taylor is going to make over the next three years. It's just going to take a little bit longer and he's going to be pigeonholed into a rookie contract, unfortunately. Yeah. I think Devon A. Chan, if he finds a way to stay healthy, could end up being part of that conversation as well. One more quick note on the the Colts running back situation, because it is sort of ironic that you... The 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 uh, overarching conversation, which we just dipped our toe in, is just how plentiful the running back position is, and you don't need to really spend big on the on the guys that are perceived to be at the top of the position. Here, Jonathan Taylor is signing one of the biggest running back contracts in the league, and the very week it happens, Zach Moss goes off for over 150 yards from scrimmage, and his base salary is 1.1 million dollars. So is that just a footnote here or is this just another now, shining example of why yeah, maybe that's not the best idea? Yeah, it's everything. It's it's what every front office is saying to themselves internally. Um, look, Jonathan Taylor's a better running back than Zach Moss. There's no question about that. But, you know, for every Zach Moss 150 yard performance, there are 1.2 right versions of that for an Austin Eckler, for a Jonathan Taylor. It's just that that gap is is closing so quickly in front of us that we all know where this is eventually headed. But good for Jonathan Taylor. Good for Zach Moss, by the way. He's on an expiring rookie contract. He's going to be hitting hitting the open market next year, along with you know the potentials of Barkley and Pollard and those players we mentioned. So I don't know. Maybe he gets himself one point five million instead of a minimum salary next year. I mean, that's just where this is headed. <laughs> Yeah, maybe get that. Uh, maybe you could get that Miles Sanders contract. You know, he, he hit the open market. All right, let's get to some quick hits before we wrap up here. Brock Purdy, now the favorite to win the NFL MVP at plus 375. Almost hard to believe he's actually jumped to a Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. Team's undefeated right now. His quarterback rating is atop the league. Are you buying it? Would you buy that price, Brock Purdy, as the NFL MVP? He's not going to win it, but he certainly looks the part. He is a really good quarterback. Um, And I I just laugh out loud when this stuff happens, right? I mean, it feels a little bit like Tony Romo, except for this guy looks way more poised. He's definitely more accurate. 
And he has a complete handle on this Kyle Shanahan offense, which I don't think is the easiest thing in the world to ascertain, right? So he, he, just, he just feels like he is an absolute rock-solid fit. And the fact that he was basically only drafted to keep him out of the UDFA market so that it didn't become a bidding war, right? That's the only reason you take a player that late in the seventh round is Especially you don't want him to hit back. Yeah. You, you just don't want him to become essentially a free agent in the UDFA market. And he just turned into this cool, calm, poised player. Is It's just phenomenal. And by the way, I need to reiterate this. I did it again on Twitter yesterday. The contract can't be touched until after 2024. Not this year, not next year, after 2024. So it's 870000 this year. It's 985000 next year. They can do nothing about that. And then they can talk about money. So what he's doing right now is playing on house money. And that is such a nice way for the San Francisco 49ers to do business right now. <laughs> is it overstating it with that? that salary for the next year to say that in NFL terms, they're basically getting a quarterback for free for free. No question. It's less than a million dollars. And we're with a salary cap. That's going to be what? 240, 245, 250. Maybe it's insane when you think about it in percentages like that. So they can do whatever they want. They, they can truly do whatever they want right now. They're going to be able to convert some salary on the Bosa contract and the Debo contract. And they probably pay Brandon Ayuk now because of this. That's probably what happens is that guy was probably going to walk or be traded because he, they weren't going to pay two wide receivers at the same time and have that Kittle contract. And now because of this value, and they've already moved Trey Lance's salary off for next year, they can probably sign Brandon Ayuk and stay this deadly from, from an offensive standpoint. Wow. So if they do win the Super Bowl, you're saying, let's just get it out there now. There will be no restructure. That is not a conversation. Can't happen until after 2024. It's in the CBA. You got to play for three years on a rookie contract. So the fact that they drafted him and that he wasn't UDFA actually buys them one more year of unbelievable value. We'll slide down the ranks in terms of NFL profile. The Rams acquired a draft pick in the Van Jefferson to Atlanta deal. Um, I thought they only traded those away. I didn't know the Rams actually acquired draft picks. So this is a unique sort of situation. What do you think about the deal for both sides? Well, if it makes you feel better, they sent a seventh round pick to get there a sixth go. round pick. That's back on too. Brand. So yeah, they had to get rid of something, right? Um, I don't know. This I thought this guy was going to be great. I really did. And it just didn't pan out. I don't know that McVay offense has stumbled some players before. Maybe he works out a little bit here. Um, every time I look at this Falcons offense, I think to myself, man, they really should have kept Kevin, Kelvin Ridley. <laughs> what were they thinking? Trading Kelvin Ridley for a box of donuts. It was just crazy. Um, I'm hoping this guy can develop into a number two option for Drake London because I, I don't know where you stand on this, but Kyle Pitts obviously isn't it. I don't know what's happening there. Um, they certainly have the running back thing, thing figured out. You know, Algier is really just kind of a small part, part of that now. I hope this guy can, be, can become a number two or a, a, at worst a number three for this offense. Um, whether it's Desmond Ritter's team or not. But I, I, I like the, the fit for Van Jefferson. I think he'll get a little bit more run here, but I don't know. It just didn't work out. You know, the McVay offense got him, I guess. Yeah, and the fact that Puknakua stepped up, I don't think he was yeah. as uh, as needed as he once was uh, when uh, when they relied on him at Cooper Cup's absence last year. I'm not completely out on Kyle Pitts yet. I thought he had a nice game last week. You know, sometimes it takes these young tight ends a minute, especially when they play with one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. But I thought Ritter has actually looked halfway decent the last couple of weeks. So I'm at least willing to give it until the maybe like Thanksgiving. You ask me for my final word on Kyle Pitts, Pitts by then. Okay. See if I'm enough. in the holiday spirit. Uh, the uh, the Hornets opt to waive Kai Jones after they failed to find a trade partner. They're going to eat over three million dollars in salary to do so. 
And I don't know if I blame them. I uh, Before we hopped on to record this podcast, I wanted to make sure that I watched the full length of the video that he posted on social media that caused all of this. Did you happen to see that? I did. Uh, boy, this is just another version of, you know, off-court issues in Charlotte, right? I mean, what, what, what can this team do right, it, really? I mean, Michael Jordan getting out should have been exhibit A that something's really going down yeah. here. Um, yeah, it's not good. Uh, to me, the only question is, does this guy ever find another job in this league? I'm not sure he's uh, proven that he can be that kind of guy. You know, number 19 overall pick. We've seen those kind of players go in and go out in terms of production in this league. But I, I don't know. After what I saw, I'm sure you, sure you saw it as well. Uh, probably doesn't get a job right right away. Let's put it that way. It's so funny to me to see these NBA teams throw guys like that on the trade block. Like they're going to get anybody that yeah. picks up the phone to call them. The Rockets just did this with Kevin Porter Jr. After there was, I think uh, it, was, it was a charge against him. I believe it, maybe I don't want to misquote what the story was, but it was something serious without looking at it. And uh, who's picking up the phone to make that call? I don't understand what these, like, don't, don't even know, bother putting these guys on the block. Nobody's calling you for these guys. We have had players like this, though, latch on to other teams and everybody just turns their head and, you know, says play ball. So I'm not going to say it's impossible. This is not the, and this is not the kind of league that polices itself properly at times. Let's put it that way. So it's not impossible. This guy doesn't find another job. He's, he's certainly got the talent to play, but uh, to start the season with this is not a good look for Charlotte. Let's put it that way. No, definitely not. Especially a franchise that's trying to turn things around. LaMelo Ball is healthy starting the season. So I think they actually want to at least attempt to see what it looks like to win a couple of games. You have an article up at the site, top 10 major league baseball free agents. We've got baseball on our brain with uh, the postseason heating up and, and some uh, really interesting game tonight and what looks to be uh, an all Texas ALCS. And we'll have a really interesting matchup. Whoever ends up making it out of the divisional round between the Phillies and the Braves. Can you give us a sneak peek at a name or two before we get out of here the top 10 Major League Baseball free agents. Yeah, I'll give you two. Um, we detailed it a little bit in the last show, but I'll give you two that are relevant right now. Uh, Aaron Nola, player you saw last night in Philly, who maybe had the best start of his entire season. It was, it's was it been a down year for him. Um, he probably just revamped his value last night doing what he did because he's done that before for that franchise. It's exactly what a team like Arizona, by the way, who I have him pegged to go to, could could use this time next year. So uh, fascinating because of where he's playing now. Fascinating about where I think he may be playing next year. And the other one is Jordan Montgomery, kind of a similar situation, right? He's going to be a, a big, big factor for this Texas for team, especially if Max Scherzer can't go more than a couple of innings. And I'm concerned about that. Uh, but Montgomery's kind of been their guy, their ace down the stretch after these injuries to the rotation. And uh, he's been bounced around from the Yankees to the Cardinals to here. I think he's here to stay. And if he has one more incredible postseason start, all it's going to do is, is make that Texas front office say, all right, how much? We need to do this. We need to keep you around because we can't trust the Scherzers and the DeGroms even for the interim, let alone for the long term. That was just a morsel, folks. There are eight other names to go and check out over at SpotTrack.com. That does it for today's edition of the SpotTrack podcast. If you like the content you hear on this channel, follow, rate, review, subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. SpotTrack.com for all the latest in the sports contractual world. Till next time.